We're going to be in various passages today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and Revelation 19 through 22. So keep your fingers on the the Scripture and be ready to move. Uh, We're not going to read Scripture today. I'm just going to go ahead and pray and get right into it. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we rejoice in this day because you have made it. You have given it to us. Uh, Lord, it's, it's a perfect day because... As we look outside the world, we, see, we do see some chaos. We do see the effects of living in the Genesis 3 world, the, the fires in California, the earthquake in Alaska, um, the wars around the world. Lord, but we know that you are in control, and this is the perfect time to hit the pause button, that you bring us to the Advent season. You bring us to the focus on the baby in the manger called Jesus. And Lord, as we, we start Advent, we start with the first candle, the first characteristic of Advent, and the Advent of hope. Lord, there's some people that might have walked in here that are without hope this morning. They look at their life and they see, man, it, it, can it get any worse? And, 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 and they need hope. And so, Lord, I pray that they would see the hope, the true hope, the joyful hope, the all-satisfying hope that only comes for Jesus. Not only now for the present, but in particular for the future. The future hope as we celebrate your first coming now, but we look forward to your second coming in which you will make all things new. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, today we we start Advent. I was going to have one of the kids come up and light the candle, but I already did that because I know that Max and his drum set, he cares for his drum set, and I didn't want to see some kid taking L, you know, trying to light the candle going through the drum set. So I already lit the candle. So you see that candle in the back. And again, today we begin the Advent season. And each candle is going to represent a characteristic of the Advent season. And today, the first candle is the candle of hope is the candle of hope. This candle should remind us of at least three things. The the first thing it should remind us of is the the hope that God gave when he promised to send them the serpent crusher in Genesis chapter 3. So that should be the first thing. That that candle should remind us that there's a a deliverer, a savior that was, we look back on, but they were looking forward to. The second thing that we should be reminded is the candle reminds us that the promises made in the Old Testament to fulfill the birth of this serpent crusher, this Messiah, his life, his death, his resurrection in the form of Jesus Christ. We think of Old Testament passages like Isaiah chapter 7 that talks about uh, this Savior is going to come through a, a virgin. We think about Isaiah chapter 9, which we'll get to later in this text. that talks about this new kingdom, this new government that's going to be set up. We think of Micah chapter 5 where we see this ruler is going to come from this little small insignificant town called Bethlehem. So this, this, this candle reminds us of the hope that was fulfilled in the prophecies. And then it's very much for us this morning. It reminds us to, to look forward. We look back on those first two characteristics I talked about, but we are to look forward to the second advent, second coming of Christ, in which all the promises that were initially fulfilled in his first coming, in his birth, will be fully consummated in his return. In his return. You see, as we know, we talk about this thing called already, not yet. We, we have these characteristics, these principles that we already have in Christ. Positionally, we are saints like we talked about last week. But 
But, but physically, it's, it's tough to feel that. And one day, when Christ comes back his second time, it will be all consummated. We not only understand the spiritual ramifications and blessings, but we will get to experience all of the fullness of God in his glory at the consummation of his return. So today, we look at hope. Again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and Revelation 19 through 22. So first, what is, what is hope? What is hope? I, I bet you if I took a poll out here, we, we all have different definitions of what hope is. And there's, a, there's maybe a, a biblical hope that we're going to look at that too. But most prop, people probably think when they think about hope, they think of something that they want to happen, but they're not quite sure if it will happen, right? It, it, it's something they want to happen, but it's not quite sure if it will happen. There's uncertainty that goes with that hope. It's a, a crossing of the fingers, right? I mean, I can remember playing when I was in baseball, and I'm playing, and I'm in a slump. You know, I might be 0 for 10 with like 7 Ks, and, and I can't even see the ball, and I'm praying in the batter's box, man, Lord, I hope I get a hit, right? I, I want to get a hit, but I'm not uncertain if I will get the hit. And that's how many people think about hope. You, you, you hope with your fingers crossed that you're going to get that job. You, you hope with your fingers crossed that you're going to pass all your finals of this month. You hope that uh, you're going to have a great Christmas with your friends and family. You hope. It's something that's not certain, but it's uncertain. Well, biblical hope is, is much different. Biblical hope is not uncertain. Biblical hope is certain. In fact, it's very certain. It's so certain that you look forward with expectation, which then reshapes your entire outlook on life. So when we talk about biblical hope, when you hear that word hope, it's not only a desire or want for something good to happen in the future, but we expect it to happen. In fact, not only do we expect it to happen, we're confident it will happen because at the heart of biblical hope is God. That's why the psalmist says, hope in God. If we, if we look at those first, two, those first three principles about the reminders of hope, the candle reminds us that the central theme is that of Jesus Christ. He was the one that is promised, the Savior, the serpent crusher. He was the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophets, and he is the one who's coming back again to rule. Our hope is in Jesus, in his character, in his word. This is what we mean by hope. It's a confident expectation that we are very certain about that will come about. So let's look how we can um, plan that out a little bit in Luke chapter 1. And first we see the stage of hope in Luke chapter 1. We'll look at verses 26 through 27. But before we get there, we've been going through the book of Genesis. We started at page 1 in the Bible. And the, and the, the story of the Bible is it's one story. This book is one, one story. And the theme or the thread of that one story is the redemption that sinners have in Jesus Christ. That's the one theme of this whole book. It's not a bunch of different stories that are disjointed. It's a story that runs along that theme. And so when we say, hey, we want you to understand the Bible, the outline in which all of us should look at the Bible from Genesis through Revelation is there's a creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That is the grid. So I want to look at the stage of hope through that grid for us. So first, creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, we saw that God created this world out of nothing. He was always and eternal. He was always. But when he spoke, creation came into being. Planets and trees and the ocean and the animals and the fishes, etc., etc., and finally humanity. And when he looked at that creation in Genesis chapter 2, he says, it is very good. I don't know if hope 
hope existed in Genesis 1 and 2. Because there wasn't a need for hope in Genesis 1 and 2. Because everything was perfect. There was perfect harmony and peace between God and humanity. God and humanity. The Adam and Eve, they walked with God. There was perfect peace between God and creation. And there was perfect, peace between, perfect harmony and peace between humanity and creation. It was very good. But as we saw in Genesis chapter 3, it went south real quick. In Genesis chapter 3, we know that Adam and Eve sinned. The harmony and peace that was there with God and man, God with creation, man with creation, evaporated. It went away. And what came into existence was sin and death. That's what entered the world. But something else entered the world in Genesis chapter 3. And that was hope. Hope also entered the world during the fall. And again, in Genesis chapter 3.15, the Lord promised this Messiah, this serpent crusher that would come and make all things new again. And for the rest of the Old Testament, from Genesis 3 all the way to Malachi, uh, there's this, people are looking for this Messiah. They're looking for this serpent crusher who's going to come and make all things new. Is it Noah? And we looked at that, and it was like, no, it's not Noah. Is it, is it going to be Abraham? We're going to see that in uh, January when we start in Genesis chapter 12. Is it through this guy, Abraham? No, it's not, it's not Abraham. Is it King David? No, it's not King David. Is it Solomon? No, it's not Solomon. Until we get to this stage of hope, and that is redemption. And that takes us to Luke chapter 1. So look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Creation, fall, now we see the redemption of the hope that's in redemption. It says this, In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city, Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You see, this is an incredible point in the passage when this comes up. Because the last book of the Old Testament was Malachi. And this is, what we lead, this is what we hear in Malachi, the end of the book of Malachi. And then from Malachi, for 400 years, there was silence. There was no word from God. This is the last thing that was said 400 years before Luke chapter 1. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You see, even at the end, the close of the Old Testament, there was this hope of this Messiah. This one that would turn the hearts of the people back to the Lord. And then there was silence for 400 years until Gabriel comes on the scene. Until Gabriel comes on the scene. Gabriel, we know, is an angel. He's one of two angels whose names are mentioned in the, in the Bible. Who's the other angel that's named? Michael. Michael the archangel, right? So it's Gabriel and Michael. And by the way, I know we have a ton of, we have a couple of ladies that are pregnant. and we get, Man, Gabriel's a great, solid, biblical name. If you want to name your kid, Gabriel. What a, what a great name. But anyway, so Gabriel, because Gabriel seems to have some special favor with God. Um, when, whenever God wants to get the word to the nation of Israel, he sends Gabriel. Here's this pinnacle announcement that the Messiah is coming. You, Mary, and Joseph, the Messiah is coming through you. That's, a, that's, a, that's like the pinnacle of pinnacle peaks of all announcements. And Gabriel gets that job. He also gets that job in the book of Daniel talking about some of the history of the end times. So Gabriel, this angel, is sent. And again, we can't underscore this enough how important this little verse is that Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin and to a man named Joseph, that they're going to give birth to the Savior. 
You can't. The Messiah, the deliverer, we can't emphasize this enough. Since the fall, since Genesis 3.15, which we've been studying, the earth has been pining or suffering, awaiting this deliverer, this Messiah. So this is the stage of hope that we see in creation, fall, and redemption. Secondly, we see the message of hope. The message of hope. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And we're going to see this hope in two parts. We're going to see uh, the hope in the new government and the hope in the gospel. So the message of hope, a new government, a new kingdom. Look at verse 31 of Luke chapter 1. It says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Gabriel talks and he tells Mary and, and Joseph. He said, hey, look at, look at those words in there. He stresses the Lord's majesty, his sovereignty, his reign, this new kingdom that's coming. He says, I will give you my throne. He will reign. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And those of us, it should remind us of a couple Old Testament um, passages. It should remind us of Isaiah chapter 9 and 2 Samuel seven 12. We're just going to look at Isaiah chapter 9. Don't worry about turning there. Just listen. I have it here for us. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. You're going to hear the same word stressed as you did in Luke chapter 1. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The people in Isaiah were longing for that day. For this Messiah, this new king, this new governor to come in, this prince of peace, to usher in this, this government, this kingdom of justice and righteousness of peace. And here in Luke chapter 1, it becomes a reality in the form of this little child. Now think about that for a second. Think about this government that just was explained, this, this new king that was going to come, and this would be the characteristics of his kingdom, justice, righteousness, peace. We live in the United States of America, don't we? Most of us. Anyways, we do. All right, in case you didn't know. Okay, but it's, it's, to me, it's the greatest country that, that, that ever existed. And I believe our government system, the way it's set up, is as uh, well. But we're not perfect as we know. If we were to poll uh, uh, any American in there, we say, hey, what's the top three characteristics of, uh, you know, the American political system, America's government, USA's government? What would they say? Would they say peace? Would they say justice? Would they say righteousness? Probably not right now. now sometimes we get there. Sometimes we, we see that the, the United States uh, brings peace and justice and righteousness. And more than many other countries, but we're not perfect. It's not a perfect kingdom. It's not a perfect government. And yet this child was sent to set up the perfect government. It's a set up to have us pining, looking for this new government that would come and reign. Because all of us want to live and be governed by peace and righteousness and justice. And we want that kingdom to not have an end. We know sooner or later, our kingdom, the United States, will come to an end. Just like every country and every power does. But this kingdom, this government will not come to an end. 
And now if you think about it, we see that, that why, didn't, why didn't Christ just come like in his, you know, in his 20s uh, as a sovereign king? Why did he have to start out as an infant? Why did he send him as a baby? And if I think, if you think about it, it makes, it makes sense. It's entirely appropriate for Jesus to come, who is the hope of the world, in the form of the infant. Why? Because what are babies? Babies are hope personified. When, when they're little, when they're small, they're, they're pure potential, right? I don't know any mother and father. We had five kids, and, and, um, and every, everyone we look at, it's like, Reed and I'd be like, oh, I wonder what, you know, Taylor's going to end up being like. I wonder what JT's going to be, or Nate, or Steven, or Maddie. It's like, there's hope. There's, there's potential there. Are they, are they going to be doctors that are going to be healing people? Are they going to be lawyers that are going to lead people, people to justice? Are they going to be engineers that build things? Are they going to be ballerinas? Are they going to be professional athletes? Are they going to be, you know, uh, geologists? What are they going to be? Pure potential. And I think Mary would be no different. Except that she knew because of what Gabriel told her. She knew what the potential was in her little baby, in little baby Jesus, because Gabriel told her in Luke verse 31, he will be great. He'll become the son of the most high. He will have a throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. He is the one that we've been looking for in Isaiah 9, the Messiah, the new king. So there's a great Christmas song, Mary Did You Know. Anyone, everyone heard that? Mary Did You Know. Who likes that song? That's a sweet song. It's a great song. That's an awesome song. But we can answer the question if Mary knew, right? Because Luke tells us through Gabriel that Mary knew what her son was going to be. So you don't have to think, Mary, did you know? You can still sing on it, but it's going to change the perspective of that song for you. It's like, well, yeah, she did know. So why'd you write the song, right? All right. Anyways, but Mary did know. Not in the fullness, obviously, but God made it clear that this little baby, he would be the deliverer. He would be the king. He would be the serpent crusher the Lord, that the world has been longing for and waiting for ever since Genesis chapter 3. So we see the message of hope here is, is first is there a new government, a new kingdom that's going to come rule and reign. And second is the message of hope is the gospel. Is the gospel. Now turn your Bibles to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. If you're following around one of those black Bibles, it's going to be on page um, 808, I believe. Matthew 21, verse 20, uh, Matthew 1, verse 21 and 23, or just 21, it says this, Gabriel again, the angel announcing, in particular to Joseph now, she will give birth to a son, and you are given to him the name of Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. That's the gospel. That's the message of hope. That's the message of hope in redemption is that Jesus will save us from our sins. So the message of hope is this. First and foremost, not only does Jesus fulfill the prophecy regarding him as the eternal king, the sovereign Lord that will rule for eternity, but he also fulfills that of the suffering servant found in the prophecy of Isaiah 53. The servant that was crushed for our iniquities, and for our sins. He will save us from our sins. See, we know in the context here that the Jewish nation of Israel was, was longing for a geopolitical king, a geopolitical savior, that, they would, that this savior, this Messiah would come and save them from the oppression of Rome, that this Messiah would lead this rebellion, a physical rebellion from Rome that would conquer Rome and take back their land and their rule for Jerusalem. That's in their mind what the Messiah was going to do, but in God's mind, it was a totally different agenda. 
It was to save them spiritually. It was to save humanity from their greatest enemy, and that was separation from God because of sin. We see this in all the Gospels. This is the message of hope through all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the rest of the New Testament. That Jesus came to save people from his sins. Begin with John the Baptist as he first came on. The forerunner that we talked about. The forerunner that would come and say, repent and believe in the Gospel for the forgiveness of your sins. And remember when he saw Jesus coming to him for the first time in John chapter 1? He looked at Jesus and he said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who what? takes away the sin of the world. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. So that was John's message. And then we know that John got arrested, and then Jesus picked up right again in Mark chapter 1 with the same message. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That is the message of hope. It's the gospel. It's that you and me, we were separated from God from birth because of our sins. We were rebellious, but God in his love and his mercy, he gave us hope because he sent us Jesus, the one that would save us from our sins. Jesus came first and foremost in this first advent, his first coming to secure our salvation. This is the same message back then that was true of the nation Israel and John the Baptist and the rest of the gospel as much as is true for us this morning. And it should bring us hope this morning. That because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can be saved. We can be reconciled back to God. And it's not in, oh, I hope this is the right way. I hope what the Bible says is true. No, 1 John 5.13 says, these things were written so what? You may know that they are true. That you may know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life to eternal life. So our hope is not a, cross our salvation is not a, oh, I hope this is right, by crossing our fingers. We're not following Jesus with our fingers crossed. No, we are following our Jesus with our whole hearts and full understanding of what that means, that Jesus died and paved the way, and it is a certainty so that we might be saved. The message of hope is a new government is coming, and there's a new gospel of salvation. Now, we understand, again, it's already in, in the spiritual heavenlies. This is already a reality, but it's not yet. That leads us to our third point, the future hope. And then now we can turn to Revelation. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time in Revelation. And I'm gonna, just going to read big chunks of Revelation. And we're going to start in 9, Revelation 19. So you want to probably grab your Bibles and turn there. Revelation 19 will probably start on page 1040 in those black Bibles around you. But this is awesome. This is where we are right now. Uh, We talked about creation. We talked about fall. And we're in redemption. We're looking forward to this restoration, this future hope of restoration that we find in Revelation Revelation 19 through 22. C.S. Lewis said in his, uh, he he ended uh, the Chronicles of Narnia talking about this future hope. How many of you guys have read all the books in the Chronicles of Narnia? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, awesome story. For those of you, I mean, I, I sat out with my, with my kids and I read through the whole books. It's awesome. If you haven't done that, that'd be a great way to just get some good time with your kids to start um, and go through and read to your kids the Chronicles of Narnia. But he ends, C.S. Lewis ends about this future hope. And this is what he says in the book of the last battle. 
He says this, and for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can mostly truly say that they all lived happily ever after, or at least Peter, Edmund, and Lucy did. Susan, maybe not so much. I'm not going to give you the spoiler, but, but they all lived happily ever after. Here, but for them, it was the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, in Narnia, and all their adventures in Narnia had been covered, a covered, a title page. Now, at last, we're the beginning chapter of chapter one of the greater story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Did you guys catch what he was saying there? He said, we, we, we read the story of Narnia, and, and, that, and that was one, um, one glimpse into their world and their adventures, and that was one story, but the real story in their lives is just about to begin. It's the story of heaven. It's the, it's the story of this greater story that's going to happen, that every chapter after it is going to be better than before. So hope in this life is only one experience. What well, C.S. Lewis is saying, there's a hope that we all have for in Christ that's going to be even better. And so let me, let me sum up this future hope, this hope that we hold on to, that we look forward to this morning. This is this hope is, is, is the hope that we're going to get to experience in its fullness when Jesus comes the second time, which is what Revelation is about. You see, this last chapter, this final chapter in God's redemptive story from Genesis and Revelation is known as restoration. This is what's coming in the future. This is what we're longing for, that Jesus is coming again to redeem or restore all things new. You see, this future hope you and I meditate on the restoration of the kingdom. This should be at one of the forefronts as we look at our world living in this, this Genesis 3 world where we've seen creation fall and we're in redemption, but we look forward to the restoration, the second coming when all things will be set right. This should motivate us, the restoration of the kingdom. But again, that's not the end when Jesus comes back. The Bible doesn't end, the last verses of the Bible doesn't end with the end, right? It's not a Disney story. It doesn't end with, then they lived happily ever after, the end. It ends with this, come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord be with you. The end is really just the beginning, Christ's second coming, when he comes to restore, is really just the beginning what C.S. Lewis is talking about, the greater story, and that every chapter after that is going to be better and better and better. So the beginning of the restoration is Jesus coming back a second time as a sovereign judge and king. It, it, it brings to fruition the, the glorified state of what he first came when he brought the government as a little baby in the manger. He's going to come and consummate his kingdom here physically on earth. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. For some of you, this might be a new way of looking at Jesus. When he came in the first as a little baby in the manger, humble, meek, and mild, when he comes back a second time, it's going to be a totally different dude. Revelation nineteen eleven. Then I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse. 
The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his hand he has many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horse. From his mouth came a sharp sword, which strike down the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress uh, wine of fury and wrath of God and the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, it looks like Jesus has a tattoo, his name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the, when Jesus comes back, he is coming back as a conquering king. This is what we're looking forward to. And then in Revelation 20, verse 11, look at that. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. These are very sobering passages. That Jesus is going to come back as, as the judge, and what this is, is really this is a fulfillment of the scripture. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? He doesn't tell us to take vengeance against evil. He doesn't tell us to take vengeance against the injustices. He says he will set the record straight. And he will set the record straight by punishing all the injustices, all of the evils in this world. It will be swift, it will be decisive, and it will be agonizing for those whose names are not written in the book of life. So this is a very sobering passage for those of us whose, whose name are in the book of life. But, but not only the people, but also Satan himself as well will be thrown in the lake of fire. Look at Revelation 19 again, verse 20. And then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his enemy. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship its image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So again, those of us in Christ, we long for that because we want to see evil dealt with, don't we? We want to see injustice dealt with. We want to see those deeds get dealt with what is due. We want to see justice. Everyone wants to see justice. At the core of all of us as as humans is we are justice people. And we look forward to this day because we know at this point, God is a God of justice and of righteousness. And he will come and make all things new. But here's the question. How do you know if your name is written in the book of life? And can you know? Or are you just right now, you have your fingers crossed. You're like, well, I hope my name's written in there. Well, today you can know for sure. You can know for sure. And that's what we've been talking about, about the gospel in the last thing. You can know for sure because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That is a historical fact and reality that we can get to. 
that Christ came, born of a virgin, he grew up, he lived the perfect life in your place and in my place that we were called to live, that we couldn't live, and then he died on the cross. He was your substitute and my substitute to make payment atonement for this judgment. So this judgment that's being um, upon the people's names who's not in the book of life has been given to Jesus on your behalf and on my behalf. And we receive that, our name becomes written in the book of life when we acknowledge our rebellion, we repent of our sin, and we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's how you know that you are in the book of life. It's through repentance and faith in Jesus. So if you're in here this morning, and, and this might be the first time you've ever heard this message, man, we are glad you're here. And if there's, you, you probably have a ton of questions flowing. That, that's why we're here. Come grab me. Come grab one of the pastors. Come grab whoever invited you to, to talk about this gospel because we don't want to see you here at this point when Jesus comes back standing against him. And when he opens up the books, your life is built on what you've done because it's not good. The Bible says our works are but filthy rags. Filthy rags. But his works are perfect. And he did that for you. So you, your name can be written in the book of life by repenting and trusting Christ. And that is a desire for you. Secondly, Jesus will gather all those in Christ on earth where he has made all things new. At the end again of Revelation 20, 15, it says, and if anyone's names were not found in the book of life, he or she was thrown on a lake of fire. Well, the question is, well, what about those names whose, whose names are written in the book of life? What do they get? What happens to them? Look at Revelation 21, verse 1. This is what we get. We get heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear. He will wipe from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away and he who is sitting on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. If your name is written in the book of life, this is what you get. New world, new heavens, new earth, all things new. Pain, suffering, crying, weeping, injustice, done away with. No more tears. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's tough for us to imagine that. Because the Lord doesn't spend a lot of time. He just gives us these bullet points of what heaven's going to be like because it's going to be so incredible and blows. We can't, we can't fathom how incredible that's going to be. That's what C.S. Lewis says. Every chapter in eternity is going to be better and better, but we can't process it. A lot of times when, when God talks about heaven, he's got to talk about it in the negative for us to understand it because it's so glorious. But think about this for a second. How many of you have been frustrated this week with someone you work with? Or you go to school with? How many of you guys have been frustrated? Raise your hands. With your own kids, with your own spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, right? How many of us in here um, have suffered this year physically, have gotten sick? How many of us in here have shed a, a tear because someone died in our family? 
or something bad happened to a friend of you? How many of us shed a tear? We all have. But this is the incredible thing. When Jesus comes back a second time, and this is why I say, man, we should be longing for this day. Because when he comes back, he's going to make all things new. And we will never cry. We will never suffer. We will never see injustices. Those things are past. It'd be a place of heaven. And the biggest thing about it is we will be with God forever and eternity. Now go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Gets even better. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright and clear, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God. Man, when I see that river of life, I'm thinking, man, there must be some good fish in there for fly fishing. That's that's what I'm thinking about, right? Through the middle of the streets of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. Remember the tree of life? We remember that from Genesis, right? The tree of life. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. And the best fruit are going to be plums and peaches, or or pears for me. I don't know what it's going to be for you. 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for healing the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed. Sin will be gone and dealt with. But the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. This is what we look for. This is future hope. This is the the restoration of the story that we should be longing for, that we're looking for. This is the restoration of hope found in the gospel for whose names are written in the book of life. And, and if, if you're there, if this is you if, you, if you know that your name is written in the book of life because you repent and trusted in Christ, your life should be dramatically different than for those that don't. And how you respond and live your life. Let me give you an illustration on, 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 on how it should be different. You have two, two individuals. These two individuals are, are basically the same person, but in two different people, right? They're the same age, the same gender, however you want, man, woman. Um, they're the same social economical status. They're the same giftings. They're the same, they got the same looks. They got the same money in the bank account. And they got the same job. All right? Got the picture? And this job is a tedious job. It's a mundane job. It's, it's not a job of what we would say call for significance. It's just a job that they do. And the boss tells one of the guys, he's like, for, for one year, when you do this job, I'm going to give you $20,000. That's going to be your payment. You're going to get $20,000. And he tells the other guy, he says, you're going to do the same job, and I'm going to give you, after one year, I'm going to give you $5 million. That's what I'm going to give you. Now, these guys don't know that the boss told them two things differently. But again, see how that would impact your life. A couple months into it, the guy making twenty grand would be like, man... I, I can't even get up to go to work. I don't want to get up to go to work and go to this job. It's tedious, it's mundane, it's boring, right? That'd probably be the sentiment of the guy making 20 grand. What's the guy from 5 million going to say? He's like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I can't wait to get up and go to work, right? In fact, I'm singing, you know, songs as I'm coming down, uh, coming to work. I, I can't wait for the next day and the next day and the next day. Why? What's the difference of perspective? The difference of perspective is the hope. 
You see, hope changes how we live today because of the expectation of what awaits us in the future. And if our expectation of what awaits us in the future is what I just described to you in Revelation, it's worth infinite times more than any kind of money. It should change the way that you and I live today. Now, we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to always be joyful. We still battle. There's still going to be suffering. But in those moments when we get that call of, whatever it may be, we know that this future hope is coming. And we can look at that day. We can look at that trial. We can look at that circumstances and face it with a hope because we know what is coming to us in the future. So you see, as we close up to here today, out of all the other religions in the world, nothing promises hope like Christianity. Christianity is a religion of hope. It's a hope that looks forward to the future, to a time when God's promises will be ultimately fulfilled. That was true of God's people prior to Christ's birth as they look forward to the birth of the promised Messiah in Genesis 15. It was true of Mary and Joseph as they looked down at their little baby, knowing that the time and the fulfillment of God's promises has finally come and is true for you and me this morning as we look forward to the return of Christ that our faith is a future-focused faith of hope. So do you have that hope this morning? I hope that everyone who walks out that door has this hope. And it's ruling over your heart and over your lives. So let us respond this morning, as Mary did, with inspected hope. And this is what she said in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this season, this Advent season where the first candle we look at is the candle of hope. Lord, and it is my prayer that this morning that everyone walks out of here the hope of the gospel. That we all walk out of here knowing that our name is written in the book of life. And again, if there's anyone in here that isn't there, man, we are, we are glad they're here. They might have a lot of questions. And Lord, may I ask that you, you prompt them to ask those questions. Because those of us that you have shown your grace and your love and your mercy on, Lord, we know how sweet this truth is and how it guides our life as we live in a Genesis 3 world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.